Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and what with this being our first show for January of 2019, on behalf of my co-host, Dustin Fuse, let me wish all of you a happy new year. How exactly did you and Jill ring in 2019, Dustin? I think we did what most people did and uh, <laughs> avoided going out into the craziness, and I think we just played board games. So, you know, can't go wrong with the new way of ringing in the New Year's. I have to admit, it's probably not good to admit this on a universal podcast, but Nancy and I were home. It was was awful weather that night. In fact, anybody who watched the the stuff that was going on in Times Square knew that. I kind of felt bad because they had been talking previously during the day of how they'd be dropping 3,000 pounds of confetti oh, on everyone in Times Square. And it's just sort of all I could think of is, Okay, so you throw it out in the rain. So that's basically 3,000 pounds of paper mache. Nothing like, you know, bringing in the new year with a head injury. But about 15 or 20 minutes before the actual physical ball drop in Times Square, the weather got so bad here that we lost satellite signal. Oh, wow. But Nancy was clever enough that the Disney parks were streaming the fireworks and then the countdown to New Year live. So... She pulled out her tablet and streamed it to our television. And so it was kind of bizarre you know, to, to you know, sit there and watch what was going on in Orlando. Have you done New York for New Year's Eve? I have done Macy's, the Thanksgiving Day Parade, there in the city three times. And every time I sort of think about doing New Year's Eve, since 9-11, they now do this thing where they basically put you in a corral. Mm-hmm for 10 to 12 hours and I have a nearly 60 year old bladder so that's just not gonna work and I think you and I are very similar because like one of the things that everyone asks is well are you going to go and do Disney or Universal for New mm-hmm. Year's Eve and back in 2008 I worked at Epcot my first day was December the 3rd so I remember vividly this image of bringing the new year with 40 or 50,000 people during the rain Mm -hmm. and everyone's trying to find, you know, cover because they didn't bring rain jackets or umbrellas. And I look at this type of thing and it's, it's great on screen. So if you can watch Mm -hmm. a stream, that's perfect. But I think it's a one and done unless you have some great reservations, which we talked about on our last show at universal that they did a lot of stuff this year. But I think I'm in the same boat as you looking at a tablet or a screen is perfect enough. In the 1990s, in the first decade that Universal Studios Florida was open, I do recall that I did spend one New Year's Eve in the park. And they actually attempted to do sort of a classic Times Square kind of a thing. You got party hats, you got noisemakers, you got things you could twirl around to make noise. And But again, it was back in the days when Universal was still sort of kind of getting its act together. Mm -hmm. I think I'll have to actually circle back on trying a New Year's Eve at one of the Universal parks in the future. But before we talk about the future, we have to address the past. And that brings up a show we were supposed to do over the holiday season. I think on our, our last Universal podcast talk, we talked about a special Christmas show we were going to do that was themed around the Grinch. And basically... 
I'm sure a lot of you know that Audrey Geisel, who is Dr. Seuss's widow, passed away on December 19th. She was 95 years old, and she, she died in her home in La Jolla, California. But out of respect to Audrey, and she factored pretty heavily into the show that we had written uh, about the Grinch, I felt that it was right to postpone the show till we got on the other side of of her funeral memorial service. In fact, I've, I've been reaching out on a regular basis to Dr. Seuss Enterprises. That's the company that Audrey set up after her, hus- her husband passed in 1991. Uh, that handles the film rights and, you know, the theme park attractions and all that sort of thing. And once we get on the other side of the memorial services and the funeral, we'll definitely circle back on this story. So please hang in there, folks. But beyond that, why don't we launch into the news here, Dustin. And not all of the news on the Universal front has been great over the past couple of weeks. The Universal Pictures side of the company took kind of a hit over the holidays. They had two films come out, Mortal Engines and Welcome to Marwin, Mm -hmm. that really didn't do well at the box office. Uh, Did you manage to catch either of those, Dustin? Uh, Absolutely not. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think I'm not alone because when Mm -hmm. you're putting these pictures up against things like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you're going to have a, uh, a divided audience, which I mm-hmm. think happened. It doesn't mean that the, that they weren't good shows. And when they get released on things like Netflix and that kind of thing, they'll, they'll find a second wind. But I think we were all taken aback by the popularity and what actually happened with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Just this past weekend, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse took the Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature, and that's kind of a harbinger of of what will happen with the Oscars later this year, and actually took a lot of folks by surprise because The Incredibles 2 was kind of thought to be the favorite here, and that had done, I think that's the highest grossing Pixar film now ever, Mm -hmm. and that Brad Bird movie has done $1.3 billion? Worldwide, whereas Into the Spider-Verse, I think it's combined domestic and international business. It's done about a fourth of, of that. Not exactly burning up the box office, but on the other hand, lots of, of great reviews over it. Rotten Tomatoes, high audience ratings. So I'm kind of hoping it hangs in there. It's a great movie if, if you've seen it. Swinging back to Mortal Engines and welcome to Marwin now. Mortal Engines really was for universal it was kind of a relationship movie mm-hmm. as in they wanted to keep a good working relationship going with peter jackson because again universal does dream someday of getting those characters in a theme park though i think after years and years of pursuing jackson and you know the folks at weta and there's a number of people who believe that's why Universal built the Skull Island Reign of Kong mm-hmm. attraction to sort of keep the lines of communication going. But with Amazon signing that $250 million deal with the J.R.R. Tolkien estate, uh, along with uh, the publisher HarperCollins and New Line Cinema, back in November of 2017, they're looking to do a multi-season Lord of the Rings show for television. So I wonder now, is Universal, if they are in fact still looking someday to do a Lord of the Rings Hobbit section at one of the parks, 
have they pivoted in that direction? Are they now talking with the folks at Amazon? Well, and, and you and I have talked about the relationship idea many, many times. We, we look at something on the Disney side, for example, what they did to appease Tim Allen with mm-hmm. his his show and getting them to I th- I'm trying to remember the, the name of it. It's, it's escaping me right now, but it's the the one where they almost got to 100 episodes and it was specifically to get them over that hump to get into syndication. And they decided to renew it for another season in order to kind of not just grease the wheels and keep that relationship going, but they knew that very soon, and it only took a couple of years, that Toy Story 4 was going to be coming back around. And they wanted to make sure that they kept everyone happy. This is very similar to that because with Peter Jackson, he is the gatekeeper for a number of different IPs. And for Universal, it's all about building these Harry Potter style worlds where you can get into these just as in depth that you can imagine. And I definitely see that doing these types of movies and whether or not they're going to lose money or or break even, that's perfectly fine. But we are looking long term on this and hopefully, you know, it'll come around and more people will see the two movies. But that's just parcel for the the core, right? That's just the way it works. Are you talking about Last Last Man Man Standing? Yes. Season before last, Disney opted not to renew. I mean, that was a Fox production. They opted not to renew the show, largely because they had brought in a new studio head in in charge of ABC television, and it was a half-hour sitcom on a Friday night, and they didn't have a show to pair it with. And so they canceled the show, and after just two years sort of waiting in the void, Last Man Standing finally actually got renewed retooled rebooted they, they I, found a sure. home <laughs> it's now at fox it's back on friday nights it's doing great numbers and to then further muddy the water here of course disney is buying fox both its film library and its television production facility and so tim's kind of back under the disney umbrella and oddly enough with a hit show at fox so the very fact that Disney canceled the show that was doing gangbusters on ABC on Friday nights, largely because it was like, we don't have anything to pair it with mm-hmm. and let's shut it down. But, you know, we've been following the whole Universal Fantastic Worlds project, the new park that's being built up by the Orange County Convention Center. And just over the past couple of months, we've been able to talk about the site prep, the roads going into the site, the size of the parking lot. In fact, I think on the just on the last show, we, we addressed that slide that showed up at a presentation, finally revealed that the really for real name of this thing is Universal's Fantastic Worlds, and there's Luigi and the Nintendo stuff. And we know Nintendo's going into this park mm-hmm. because Nintendo had an amazing year in 2018. Had their, their brand new Super Smash Brothers Ultimate game came out, and it's a... Mo- supposedly one of the most popular games of 2018. Likewise, the Nintendo Switch is one of the top gaming products of the year. So we know that's going in there. But then the question becomes, well, what else is going into Fantastic Worlds? And there had been a lot of scuttlebutt about Jurassic World on the heels of, uh, what is it, the Jurassic Park attraction at Universal Studios Hollywood, shutting down last year and being retooled as a Jurassic World attraction. That made sense. Likewise, 
they were looking to expand the sort of the footprint overall at the Universal Orlando Resort with a more Wizarding World stuff and supposedly we were now going to see a Ministry of Magic area that more keyed off of the Fantastic Beasts films mm-hmm. and but here's the problem it's tail end of the year and people have been sort of toting up the numbers and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom did about 81% of the business that the original Jurassic World did. Mm-hmm. And the problem there is that the price of making the sequel crept up. They made the original Jurassic World for $150 million, and they made Fallen Kingdom for 170 So price crept up by 13%, and the profits fell off by 19%, which I know people who go to theme parks don't think like accountants, but the people who pick what IPs go into the parks really do think like that. Yeah, it's a it's a spreadsheet for them. They look at how much money they can make off of these assets. And let's mm-hmm. when we're talking about Jurassic World, using the word asset is really funny because that's part of the difference between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. So if we're looking at the numbers absolutely make sense. You're looking mm-hmm. at $150 million to make the first one up by $20 million for the second one because you're getting a success. People mm-hmm. are knowing that the first one worked well. Now, yep. do we know whether or not this is going into the new park? Is that why they haven't turned that key similar to uh, Universal Studios Hollywood where they shut down the Jurassic Park ride? Do we know whether or not maybe they'll because we've we've heard all these different stories throughout the years of the different attractions that could be based off of the Jurassic Park uh, franchise. Mm -hmm. Is that something that maybe we'll be able to see the coaster instead of being built in one? They'll just start fresh on the other. You never know until we see it on on the screen and on the website actually being announced by Universal that these are the properties that are going in. And I'm assuming that'll come in 2019. They'll want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that Universal's been playing it fairly close to the... I mean, think about it. it we are, you know, in the first month of 2019, and with the exception of that poster mm-hmm. that showed up on Pottermore for the new coaster that's being built over at Hogsmeade, we don't have a name for that thing. Mm-hmm. We don't have an opening date for that. I mean, it's a, what is it, it? All it said was opening in 2019 or something to that effect. Yeah. Universal does tend to play these things fairly close to the vest. They would honestly be stupid if they didn't put in a Wizarding World area, but I have to wonder on the heels of Crimes of Grindelwald, the, the second Fantastic Beast film. That did only 78% of the business that the the first Fantastic Beast film did back in 2016. And what was a little concerning there is the cost uh, of that one, I want to say. The first one was $180 million, and then they went the $200 million. Mm -hmm. Cost there crept up by 11%. Profits fell by 22%. And the other thing is that Warner Brothers has previously announced the Fantastic Beast was only going to be a trilogy in October of 2014. That's that's how they walked it out. By the time they were premiering the first Fantastic Beast film two years later, suddenly this is a five-part series. And if I'm an executive at Warner Brothers who's looking at what just happened, I wonder if I now have a conversation with J.K. Rowling going, does it really have to be five movies? Mm-hmm. Could we maybe make it four this last film, uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, really leaned in heavily into the Harry Potter mythology. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to 
get too heavily into the spoilers here, but we saw young Dumbledore, we saw young McGonagall. You know, we went back to actually Hogwarts Castle. So I would really love to see the, the Harry Potter stuff at the Universal Parks expand. I was talking with somebody with the Universal Hollywood Park and brought up the very thing you were just asking about, Dustin, about why is it that Hollywood got Jurassic World attraction, the change out from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World, mm -hmm. whereas the Orlando Park didn't. And it was like, we draw a mostly Southern California local. So we needed a brand new big thrill ride for the summer of 2019. Yeah. Whereas Universal, Florida, it's more of a situation where you have to do kind of a balancing act between making sure that there are things there that, that do appeal to the locals. That's really what Halloween Horror Nights are about and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, people plan a family vacation, get on a plane and fly down to Orlando. Yeah. So you have to appeal to both domestic travelers and international. That kind of also brings us to our other news story of this week. Did you see the story that broke on the 28th about the family that's taking Universal to court because of the the safety signs, the warning signs, and the, the attractions that at the Universal Orlando Resort are, are mostly in English? And this family believes that because their father couldn't read the warning in English mm -hmm. and he had a heart condition, he went on Skull Island Reign of Kong back in 2016 and finished riding the ride, stepped off it, collapsed, had a heart attack, and died. Mm -hmm. It was one of those stories, and I think the first thing to say, obviously, heart goes out to the family, and they're going through that process of within you know two years of this thing happening they need to get mm -hmm. answers and mm -hmm. completely understandable you want to find out a reason why and the legal side of it is you have two different methods of of what's going on within the the universal parks within theme parks in general you have mm -hmm. situations that people don't know what they're getting into before they ride it you can say that it's a, a high-speed roller coaster type experience, but until you get on the mummy, you don't know what it is. So a lot of these international folks are spending hard-earned money traveling across the world to come and see an international theme park. And the signs have English. They also have the symbols. But even at that point, there are times in, when you're looking at these these folks going on to this ride there's two or three spots within the queue that it's talking about if you have these issues don't ride this ride and you can only mm. put up so many signs and have so many audio cues saying if you have these issues please do not ride i remember talking with an imagineer who was working on the shanghai park mm -hmm. and he was talking about the lessons they applied from hong kong to Shanghai. And if you think about Hong Kong and the, the number of different languages that people in that area speak, and they were talking about all the little grandma and grandpas that would follow along in the wake of their families going to Hong Kong Disneyland that would wind up getting online for Space Mountain because there was nothing outside of that ride that indicated that it was an indoor roller coaster. Mm. They had just gone from like small world and mickey's filler magic and it's like okay it's it's 
it's some sort of theater show and I get in a thing and, oh, it's a ride. And only once they get past the load unload do they discover that it's, you know, it's a roller coaster and they, yeah. they have to deal with all these agitated old people as they got to the load unload area. And in fact, the Imagineer who worked on the Tron light cycle coaster basically said, this is why the Tron light cycle rolls through the entire section of Tomorrowland. You, as you are walking up to that attraction, you can't help but see like, ooh, that's a roller coaster. I don't like roller coasters. I shouldn't get on that. Yeah. So you get, especially in areas where you're dealing with so many guests who speak so many different languages, you've got to figure out ways to communicate this. And, and face it, you know, how many times do you get in line for an attraction, Dustin, do you actually read all the signs or are you like me face down on your phone trying to find out where the rest of your family is or catch up on email while you're chugging through lines? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at what we're doing next. I'm looking at yeah. all these these different things, which is why what, what comes to mind is the video in Dinosaur at mm -hmm. Animal Kingdom where they actually show a illuminated vehicle and how back and forth and jostly it actually becomes and i think mm -hmm. you see that at, at space mountain and you see that acro across disney property universal is a universal and an international uh theme park and there mm -hmm. these types of things do happen it's horrible that they do and you never want to kind of muddy the two waters between someone losing their life by going on an attraction but it is one of those things that it's a lesson learned and hopefully there's going to be something that come of it and frankly when we're talking about it the english and non-english and there's thousands of different languages you said it yourself there's different dialects through different areas and we're watching intently to see what's going to happen with this on a lighter note but Still had to, well, again, I'm a diabetic, so I don't get to go to into places like this anymore. But just this past Monday at Universal Studios, Florida, the Beverly Hills Boulangerie. I'm saying that name wrong. Yeah, it's Boulangerie. Boulangerie. The little deli place that sold cookies and sandwiches and had wonderful outdoor I mean, it was, it was an ideal place to meet people. At the park, I mean, you could literally walk in, grab a coffee, sit outside under an umbrella and wait for your friends to make it into the park. Or, and it's been there since opening day. Mm -hmm. It was always a, a favorite place or hangout for me in the park. In fact, a number of times I sat there and nursed a beverage and watched the earlier edition of Macy's Hol uh, Holiday Parade go by with the great big city soundtrack that it used to have. But yeah, it's closed, and according to the official statement that they had on the uh, Universal Twitter feed, we are working on an exciting new dining concept for Universal Florida, and more details will be revealed in the months ahead. I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to assume, given you know, the way the world operates now, that when this comes out on the other side, two options here, Dustin, or actually three. What do you think? Is it Voodoo Donuts? Or Starbucks? Or are we going to see something based on a universal IP? Yeah, you, you completely got it right. It's definitely going to be an IP. Uh, I think going back on it, it was a great space for a long time. But I mm -hmm. think the traffic and the revenue that they can get through bringing an IP or a Voodoo Donuts or something like that in there, that just makes sense. How about this, Dustin? We'll take a break here and then... 
you and I will take a look at all of the changes that happened at the Universal Parks in 2018. Sounds good. We'll be right back, folks. And we're back. And as far as as I'm concerned, 2018, at least for the Universal Parks, the interesting stuff began overseas at, at the Osaka Park. Are you familiar with this, this Universal cool thing that they do every year over there? To be honest, no. But I think the, the nice thing with the number of uh, theme parks around the world is that they try new in- innovative things so as soon as i saw this uh pop up you you flipped me through the the news article i went over and i'm like oh i want that i want that now well you see this came on my radar in 2016 it, the universal cool japan is sort of this temporary festival slash attraction thing that they do at uh, the universal studios japan park and the reason it, it came on my radar is in 2016 they did a Shin Godzilla attraction, so and cool. it was base. It was just basically Godzilla rising up out of the harbor and going and attacking Universal Studios Japan. In fact, you could buy a souvenir keychain of this, but it was Godzilla with the Universal globe hanging out of his mouth. And it's like I have waited for two years now, figuring that somebody somewhere must have videoed this somehow or the film would leak and i i just want to see godzilla tear up a theme park and it has not shown um on the other hand the 2018 version featured a celebration of sailor moon and this temporary attraction again this was only supposed to run from january 19th through june 24th of Mm -hmm. last year but it was so hugely popular the sailor moon thing actually ended up getting extended through September 30th of last year over at that park. And speaking of popular stuff, we had our fourth Harry Potter run at Universal Studios Florida from January 26th to the 28th. Have you ever managed to get down for any of those? I'm usually the one who's organizing other folks going down to get photos for me. Ah. So I'm... I look at what they've done in the past, and this year was uh, by far and away one of the coolest. I think that as the years go on, the team members who are in charge of the guests and in charge of the merchandise, they just continue to up their game. Now, we don't know what's going to happen next year. Give it time. But I think for this year, the the big thing that, that popped up in my eyes was the fact that they were able to debut the nighttime lights at Hogwarts Castle. And they got to do that three days before the general uh, public got to see it. I'm glad you pointed that out because initially that confused me to see that the nighttime lights at Hogwarts opened on the 31st and the event wrapped on the 28th. It was like, wait a minute, when did that happen? Um, So what, did, did they get to see it the first night? I believe they got to see it on the, the last night, ah. which we've seen actually twice this year with the Halloween Horror Nights event wrapping and then they did the stranger things a a couple days after the harry potter event is so huge that they wanted to showcase something special and you and i have both seen the nighttime light show from Mm. different aspects i was there with with jill and we were right next to the snowman so when you're in front of the castle you just head over a little bit that's the perfect uh, angle it's right kitty corner to uh, Butterbeer, so you can't go wrong with the location. But 
When we saw this, it was mind-blowing. Granted, short, also very much a, uh, depending on the night, depending on the weather, there's a lot of things that could go into it. But projection mapping is becoming so integral within the theme park landscape that this was a great example of how to do it. The nighttime lights at, at Hogwarts Castle, that was actually the second light show that debuted in, in Hogsmeade. We'd had just a few months previous the magic of Christmas at Hogwarts Castle. They actually put that technology in place to present that holiday show starting in 2017. Mm -hmm. and, and to be completely fair here, the nighttime lights at Hogwarts Castle is an import from Hollywood. It, it actually debuted at the Universal Studios uh, version of Wizarding World back in June of 2017. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's a great show. A little short. But for me, what was great about it is I got on the opening night of the press party for uh, Hogsmeade back in uh, 2010. They actually did a one-night-only projected show on the rocks in the castle. And it was so spectacular. I want to say it was the folks at Thinkwell that pulled it together. And mm -hmm. I I just remember talking to some folks from Universal Creative that night about it. Like, that would be so cool if you guys could do that every night. And it's like, well, yeah, it is, but it's expensive and it takes a lot of technology. And it only took them seven years, but they did it. I'm just happy that we got it. Yeah. And, and when we were talking earlier about the nighttime experiences that are happening overseas, I think one of the big things that was missing at Universal Orlando Resort on both sides mm -hmm. was that nighttime experience. And I think mm -hmm. 2018 solved that issue. So that's a little foreshadowing. All right. Now, marching ahead to February, we saw the kickoff of Mardi Gras. Yeah. And Mardi Gras got uh, it was very well received. They updated mm -hmm. and enhanced all of the different aspects from new floats to a new food menu. And that's that's going to be another thing that's going to come up in a, a couple of our mentions is the food and the fact mm -hmm. that Universal's culinary team is taking things to the next level. And that's very well received from the guests. Mm -hmm. OK, but February gives way to March. And, and again, back to Universal Studios Japan. They do an Easter celebration. Uh, but again, the Japanese, you know, do things a little bigger. Their Easter celebration runs from March 1st to June 24th. And what kind of intrigues me about this whole situation is that Universal, a number of years ago, managed to acquire just for its, its Japanese park, and I want to say Singapore, mm -hmm. the rights to the Sesame Street characters. And so for this particular celebration, they have these walk-around versions of Cookie Monster, Ernie, Bird, Big Bird, but they're walking around the park wearing Easter Bunny ears. So you kind of wonder what the kids make about all this. Well, and, and they may get a little confused because they mm -hmm. think that Jim Henson only did the Muppets or only did mm -hmm. Sesame Street, and they are two completely separate entities. The only one that actually crosses over is... Do you know this one? Uh, we're not talking Kermit. Are we, we are talking Kermit. Well done. Okay. I think he used to cross over. I think the, these days Disney has Kermit locked up in a vault. Though, oddly enough, I think Kermit, uh, in fact, as we're recording this, I think Kermit is making an appearance tonight on Jimmy Fallon. Oh, that's awesome. Tail end of March, we had Universal Orlando announcing the dates for Halloween Horror 
night 28. So what we initially it was going to be 34 nights, uh, September 14th through November 3rd. Same number of nights as the 2017 edition. Same number of uh, houses and mazes, right? It was only going to be nine houses initially. Yep, that sounds good. It looks like March 29th had a great uh, you know, forecast into what was exactly going to happen. Given that we were talking about the Universal Studios Japan, on March 9th, we had the Animation Studio Store open on the upper lot at Universal Studios Hollywood. And what was kind of intriguing about that is this store opened with a giant Hello Kitty section. Have you seen any of the special Hello Kitty merchandise that they created for this? It's actually begun to filter into the other parks there, but it's like Hello Kitty swimming on the the classic Jaws poster. Yeah, there, there's probably five or six of them. Uh, we saw them originally at the store because we were we mm-hmm. were wandering through at Universal Studios Florida being like, okay, you know, let's see what's going on. And we walk through and we're like, these are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hilarious. They did some nice work there. Now, jumping into April, Universal Studios Hollywood announces that they're going to hold a special after-hours in-park event celebrating the 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park. This is supposed to be just a two-day event uh, happening on May 11th and 12th, but demand for tickets is so high they end up adding a third day, May 13th. And then April 23rd. Oh, so this happened. Uh. Yeah, we're talking about Fast and Furious Supercharged, folks. The fact that they took the finale scene that had been created for the tram tour back in June of 2015, this was supposed to be the big, the present at the end of the attraction in honor of its 50th year of operation and turned it into a standalone. Nancy and I went back and tried it from a couple of different seats Mm -hmm. while we were down there for the holiday preview. And it did work better, but it's, it's still not a really good ride. Yeah. And I, I'm in the same boat when we were talking about it, when it originally came out, we thought that as soon as they announced fast and furious supercharged, we're like, awesome, something new. But I think that they had gone to the well one too many times with the video screens, uh, especially, mm. you know, knowing that the year before we had Jimmy Fallon open up to lukewarm, but still that's a, a really good attraction because it's something different. The fact that Fast and Furious is on the tram tour and it's the exact same film. There's nothing. There's a couple changes just with regards to the way that they presented the the queue and that kind of thing. But I think my big issue was what they had taken out to put that in because it's a huge footprint. And you mm-hmm. uh, you saw the the you know the demise of uh, disaster, which let's be honest, that yeah. needed uh, a disaster a closed September eighth, two thousand fifteen, and. Then we lost Beetlejuice. That shut down in January of 2016. So So you're right. The fact that we lost those two, that was one of those things. But I think you completely hit it nail on the head when you're going back a couple of times, like after the the initial opening, you want to give it another shot, see what happens. For me, it was something that just kind of missed. Doesn't mean that you're not going to go and experience it, but it wasn't the big hoopla that they were promoting, which was actually one of the reasons why it opened before the media preview, right? Yeah. 
in pretty much the same window of time, Universal did open up something that, that was hugely successful, that has long lines every day and happy customers, and that's Voodoo Donuts, uh, which opened up on May 2nd. The Universal Hollywood version of Voodoo Donuts opened earlier, back in March of 2017, mm-hmm. but I have to admit, I like the fact that Voodoo Donuts clearly likes being part of the universal world, so to speak. I love how they'll they'll do a donut in honor of the latest movie that came out. Didn't they do like a raptor claw as opposed to a bear claw? Yeah, it was uh, filled with raspberry jelly. And wasn't there some sort of a Grinch-related donut as well or in November or December? Or? Uh, I'm forgetting. Vo- Voodoo Donuts got it down pat. Let's just be honest. They're, they're still small. Keep in mind that they mm-hmm. only have seven locations, including mm-hmm. the one at Universal uh, Hollywood as well as Universal Studios uh, Orlando. But I mm-hmm. think the fact that to this day you can end your day at either Islands of Adventure or uh, Universal Studios Florida, head out, and there is a lineup to get those pink boxes where like that's that means it's a hit Mm -hmm. getting back to what else happened in may of last year may 10th we had universal studios hollywood announce they'd be closing their jurassic park ride on the lower lot in fact they let people know months ahead of time that september 3rd and that it would be retooled retuned rethemed as a jurassic world attraction which would open in 2019 And what was really cool is a week later, Universal Studios Japan, we saw the launch of Universal Spectacle Night Parade, Best of Hollywood. But honestly, folks, if you have not seen this parade yet, go to YouTube now and take a look at this thing. You're going to feel bad after you watch this, especially if you're a stateside Universal fan, because you're like, why isn't this parade here? It's only built around four IPs. It's built around Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, Transformer, and Minions. But it is honestly the most ambitious, crazy parade I've ever seen. It combines projection mapping. Each of the parade units, as they they move past some of the major structures in the building, will suddenly have these video components that will go up on the wall that enhance the story that's being told. But they also do things like... On the Harry Potter float, you have students studying and suddenly Death Eaters appear and there's this full-on battle with wizards and wands flailing and people disappearing right in front of your eyes. And, or, for example, the Jurassic Park unit, you watch these full-sized dinosaurs on floats, these raptors and that sort of thing, and as the float is going down the street, the fence on the float fails and the dinosaurs come down off the floats and menace the people along the parade route. And the cast members uh, who are working the parade have to get the dinosaurs back up on the floats. It is the craziest stuff. So out there, so well designed. My big question is, why don't we have something like this stateside? Absolutely. When I saw it, I'm like, okay, I want that. That that was yeah. as, as straightforward as, as you can. You flip me the... Um, the mm. link and just said, watch this. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge compliment to the the folks who looked after it. But absolutely, 100%, we need this. Yeah. To counter this. All right. So they get this giant parade. And on June 4th, we get Blue. Well, I mean, as in we get Blue the Raptor who joins the Raptor encounter at both Universal Studios Hollywood. They do the, the thing 
on the lower lot and we get the one over on Island's Adventure, right? Yeah, we get the one that is probably going to be moving but hasn't yet, but you know, yep. we'll mm-hmm. we'll see what will happen, but Blue was a a good uh way to promote the fact that the um uh Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was coming out 2 weeks later. Mhm. In the classic universal sense, since they announced in March what the dates were going to be for Halloween Horror Nights, we now start to get breadcrumb the various houses that are being built for the 20th edition of, of Halloween Horror Nights. But it's on June 12th that Universal goes, hey, wait a minute, we've decided instead of having nine houses, we're going to have ten houses. And I will tell you from, from my conversation with, with Mike Aiello, that was not, I mean, that was both a like, wow, that's cool. And oh my God, now we have to do all of this additional work to rush to get this 10th house up and running in time for the opening, which was what, September 14th? Yeah. That was a little scary, but that was sort of the first clue that this was going to be a different year for the Universal Halloween Horror Night, at least in Orlando. Now, meanwhile, out in Hollywood, just a few days after they make that announcement, we have the opening of the DreamWorks Theater with the their new Kung Fu Panda 3D movie, right? Yeah, what is that? so we when when the theater opened up and you mm. you were talking about it on our last show that in the opening the the pre-show they're actually talking they they had the characters from DreamWorks yep. talking about, mm. "Oh, whose show is this?" Mm-hmm. And that's a really great sign that it's going to showcase various DreamWorks portfolios and and movies that it's not just going to be kung fu panda they're going to play it up which in my opinion is exactly the way that i thought that the shrek 4d was going to happen at at our parks in orlando Mm -hmm. but when we're looking at it this it was built to house all these characters and that's huge for me oh i agree those folks who've experienced kung fu panda emperor's quest you know between the moving seats and we've had the moving seats in shrek 4d but between the sort of extendo screen and the advancements that have been made in moving seats and that sort of thing, it's it's a wonderful facility. It'll be, in, as you said, it'll be interesting to see new show films go in there, you know, celebrating other characters. And speaking of new attractions going in again, back to Universal Studios Japan, they have a section of their park over there that's called Minions Park, this area that celebrates the Despicable Me Minions IP. And they got a spinner right. They got a Minions Freeze Ray Slider attraction. And I can't help but think we have that wonderful sort of expanded version of the Despicable Me attraction out in California Mm -hmm. with its two theaters and the wonderful sort of post-show, a super happy fun land section. And it was sort of like, this would be a cool addition. I'm kind of hoping as they continue to expand that area, in fact... July 1st of of last year, uh, the Globe Theater at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood was closed and they began demolishing that. That's being transformed into a, what is it, a Secret Life of Pets ride? Is that that correct? Exactly. I'm just wondering that if they do commit to, you know, if you think about it, you've got the Illumination, brand new Illuminations themed attraction going in across the street. You've got the, you know, Despicable Me Minion Mayhem attraction across the way, along with the Super Happy Funland. It would be great to see them sort of double down and, and bring this over from Japan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At Universal Studios Florida, 
the day with curious george the ball play water play interactive area that's over between barney and et mm-hmm. you know it's had a target on its back for the better part of five years now in fact that there was at least one iteration of the nintendo plan that basically built right on top of this thing so it just sort of surprises me that here's japan on january 26th they opened a brand new playing with curious george 3d theater show did we miss something was there a new curious george movie that only you know was released in in japan because i don't know i don't know what to tell you i mean you know let's face it if there was it was blotted out by jurassic world fallen kingdom which opened on june 22nd fourth highest grossing film domestically behind Infinity Wars, Black Panther, and Incredibles this past year. So not really a surprise that that's powering, you know, a lot of stuff that they're considering adding to the Universal Parks going forward. Mm-hmm. But in this same sort of window of time, we, we had something taken away. Uh, July 6th, we lost Emeralds. Yep. One of the original components of the nighttime entertainment district known as City Walk. To this day, we still don't like the... Construction walls are up. There's work going on. We know what's going on, but we are still awaiting, you know, at least a hiring fair. That's all I'm looking for. I want to see the jobs posted and then you could be like, okay, this is what's happening. So give it some time. The smart money is still on big fire. Still, right? still there. Absolutely. Okay. And, and when we were looking at Emeralds, the fact that it's in such a prominent location it makes mm-hmm. sense that when they closed it, there was something big that was going to happen there. Now, we didn't expect it would be closed for so long without something being announced. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that's just the way that some of these things work. Again, this is the nature of theme parks. Things change. You change at restaurants or you even you change out things like lockers, which on July 9th, we had brand new lockers go into revenge of the mummy and you were the one who who brought this to my attention because this is this was actually significant right so this this is uh on on social media known as locker gate so mm-hmm. universal introduced a new style of locker on uh july the 9th um to mm-hmm. revenge of the mummy and then replaced other locations on property with the same design now these mm-hmm. lockers had two different ideas there was a small which is basically designed for your wallet phone that type of thing uh and then you had your large which were designed for backpacks well what happened was they did these big changes within all of the different attractions that required a locker and then they waited until december where they ended up transitioning the free so at this point in time they were both free the large and the the small and all you had to do was use your park ticket versus previous where you would use your your fingerprint so that was the big thing it was all fine and dandy and then in december they decided to put a charge on the large backpack one so two dollars while you're riding then every additional half hour after that would be an additional charge so when we were looking at this universal has one of the strictest and you know, it makes sense due to the amount of things that fall out of people's pockets. They don't want stuff to be in on the rides versus Disney, mm-hmm. where you can ride Space Mountain with your backpack at your feet. That just happens. So at Universal, they ended up saying, OK, we, we want to make people safe so you can't bring anything in. But then they instituted this charge 
we don't know what's going to end up happening, but when you're looking at the amount of stuff that people bring with them to a theme park day, that's a lot of money that you're spending to put your bag into a safe space so you can ride Men in Black. If you walk into Marvel Superhero Island mm -hmm. and look up at the Hulk coaster, there's a net that stretches over the bridge there. And there's a reason there's a net that stretches over the bridge, you know, because, you know, when this park first opened in 1999, mm -hmm. in fact, I had a friend who was working as part of the opening team was standing at the bridge greeting people. And as he was doing that, he heard this sort of smash behind him and looked and it was somebody's cell phone that had fallen out of their pocket as the coaster turned over and had come crashing down at the ground at 60 miles an hour. And it was like, oh, that's not good. And these aren't the, the slick phones that we have today. These are the phones from back in the day. Those had some heft to them. I think the net went up the very next night yeah. <laughs> because of that. So. All right, July 16th, we had the opening of Universal Orlando Cinematic Celebration. New 25-minute long nighttime show featuring 120 fountains and a viewing area for 6,500 guests. And I'm not going to lie. I miss the old show. Yeah. The celebration of 100 years of universal history. And this one's cute. I love the moment in it where Gru comes out and it's like, boy, I'd hate to follow that guy. And it's like, who's next? Oh, it's us. I mean, it's it's, it's a funny show. It's It's clever. I love the... The mix of a fountain projection stuff and and the projection mapping across the way, mm -hmm. but I still miss my celebration of a hundred years. But I'm an old fart. What can I see? I think that the the fact that the infrastructure is in place mm -hmm. for additions and revampings of the show content, I think that's what I'm looking forward to. And the fact that they're starting, and you know, this is a little foreshadowing into what's coming. Actually, we'll just say it now. During the uh, the holiday celebrations, they actually sold for the first time dessert parties. So yeah. you were able yeah. to go and buy these uh, advance tickets for reserve seating for the uh, the parade, as well as a dessert party to see the show. Roped off area. It worked. Now, speaking of desserts, though, were among the offerings for this thing the prepackaged butter beer ice cream? Because that debuted in the park on July 21st. And up until that point, what, you could go to Florian Fortescue's and they hand scooped it there, right? This butter beer w was prepackaged, right? The butter beer ice cream. So. That made it available now for purchase over in Hogsmeade, right? Yeah, and the, the fact that it was not soft serve. That was mm -hmm. the big distinction because that just added another butterbeer thing. And when we talked about it in the summertime, there were, I can't remember how many million, it was 20 million butterbeer that they had sold since the, the park opened. The fact that they're now doing another style of butterbeer makes me hopeful that they're going to come out with that next one in 2019. We don't need another flavor of crack. Thank you. <laughs> and now we jump to August. In August, we saw the opening of the next Universal Orlando Hotel. We saw the Aventura, 17 stories tall, 600 rooms, Spanish-influenced design. When I stayed there, I didn't feel I was hip enough to stay there. You know, it's just a very slick mm -hmm. uh, hotel. I mean, wonderful design and weird-shaped rooms because of the whole fidget like, you know, the fidget spinner, uh, fidget spinner yeah. shaped building. 
you and Jill got to, to check that out while you were down there last, didn't you? Or when when we were when you're looking at a, a new hotel, just like over mm. at Disney, a new resort is a new style. And I mm. think what the Aventura brought to the table is another uh, style. And you, when you were talking with Len about it, it was I think you were talking about the the millennial style where mm. you rate the room based on how many USB ports there are and how many charging stations there are. I look at that as just another option and going forward into the Universal Orlando Resort expanding, the Aperture is going to find its place within the repertoire and, you know, people are going to really love it or they're going to be like yourself and be like, I just, where's my bed? That's all I want. August 21st, Universal Orlando put out the word that due to popular demand, they were going to add two additional nights to the schedule for this year's Halloween Horror Nights. And I guess this is the first time They've sold Tuesdays in September. Mm-hmm. And so, what is it? Tuesday, September 19th, and Tuesday, September 26th. They baited tonight that they were presenting Halloween Horror on. And I have to tell you, ha- having been there on opening night, the, the 14th, when it was 1,200% humidity and 85 degrees at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, nothing says Halloween like a bag full of melted candy. <laughs> The world was there. I mean, it was body to body on opening night because people wanted to experience these now 10 different houses. But of course, before we could get to Halloween Horror Night starting on the 14th, we had to first get past Rock the Universe, which we had that on September 7th and 8th. And just this year, Disney decided it was getting out of the Christian music uh, festival business. They announced back in May after a 34-year run at that the Walt Disney World Resort, Night of Joy, they weren't going to hold it anymore. Yeah, That kind of shook a lot of people or surprised a lot of people. And speaking of surprising a lot of people, what happened on the 7th also surprised a lot of people. Do you want to talk about that? Or? Yeah, so the, the quote is, Universal Orlando Resort is working on exciting new experiences for guests to continue to celebrate the Wizarding World of Harry Potter or Wizarding World next year. So that means there's something coming. There's something mm-hmm. coming, but that means that we're going to be getting rid of something. So further to this, to the quote, these include an all new thrill ride coming to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Hogsmeade, and an additional uh, fan experiences that have yet to be announced. While our focus on these fan experiences mean that we will not be hosting a celebration of Harry Potter in 2019. We and other Universal theme parks will always be looking for opportunities to host special Wizarding World experiences. As soon as this came out, everyone was shocked, but it yeah. didn't really shock you and me, did it? We just had the Harry Potter movies switch over to TBS, TNT, sci-fi, and you know how much of the bumpers and the, the promotion for these things were actually shot at the celebration of Harry Potter at the Universal Park. So mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised given that they had made that move, that they were sh- shutting this down. The reason why I wasn't shocked was because it had become so popular. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at an experience that the last, like this year when it was uh, going off, the crowds were crazy busy to even mm-hmm. get into the area. So people were starting to come up very similar to a, um, I don't want to, you know, head over to a D23 mentality, but people were focused on the lines and not what was going on within the content. 
So I could always imagine that they wanted to make this bigger and better, but to do that, you have to understand where the footprint is. The other big thing that popped out was the fact that the thrill ride was coming. So if, yeah. if that's being talked about and we still don't officially have a, a date, we know that it's coming in 2019, but they're working around that to really get it up and running. So I could always imagine that that's, that was one of the reasons why they probably didn't do it, but we don't know we weren't in that meeting. Yeah, and I'm assuming that the celebration of Harry Potter will come back, but at the same time, I think you and I both floated the idea that maybe it will go to Hollywood for yeah. a year, and certainly when Fantastic Worlds opens, and if that does in fact include a Ministry of Magic component, it would certainly make sense to, in order to get people to that park, maybe push the event there. We're just going to have to wait, because Universal is moving things around the chessboard now and, th and speaking of moving things literally the day the, the just days after mm -hmm. rock the universe uh the 2018 edition wraps up on september 10th universal announces that rock the universe is going to be moving uh from its its early september birth to in 2019 it's going to be staged on february uh first and second I think you and I immediately identified when that was going on that, okay, so the reason they're doing this is they're looking to start Halloween Horror Night that much earlier. In Absolutely. Fact, I want to say it was just last month that they announced that they, I think the opening weekend or the opening date is September 5th. Meanwhile, back in City Walk, we said goodbye to the MC Universal on September 12th and, and then... You know, it closed its doors and what, three days later, it reopened as Cinemark, right? Yeah. So it was uh, one of those things that happened, not literally overnight, but pretty darn close. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, added enhancements, added things that only Universal could do. But when you're looking at it, it was something that was coming. You could see it coming, but it was also, you know, just another domino to fall in CityWalk. September 15th. We had the eighth voyage of Sinbad close over at Islands of Adventure. It was this weird show. It was this mix of incredibly corny jokes and pretty spectacular stagecraft, some amazing stunts. But also, in today's theme park world, it wasn't tied to an IP. It wasn't tied to a, a Sinbad movie. Uh, you know, it wasn't tied, for example, to the the Sinbad film that DreamWorks did back in two thousand two. I want to say. And of course, now everyone is sort of eyeballing that space and it being just down the hill from uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Hogsmeade, and, and the, the Hogwarts Express Station. So everyone's waiting for the Harry Potter-themed attraction that's going to occupy the spot there. And speaking of Harry Potter, on October 1st, uh, we had Pottermore, the website that J.K. Rowling set up for Potter fans who just can't get enough of Potter-related stuff. They're the ones who leaked the first art for our brand new coaster, right? Yeah, and uh, I believe it was not our last show. I think it was number eight. We actually talked about the hidden gems within the poster and talking about where things were, were going to be going. And since then, we have seen, you know, shovels to the ground and just so much construction going on over there that it was awesome to see this first piece of art, but very similar to what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, it's not happening, it's not happening, but there it is. 
So. There you go. And and just to remind folks, again, the phrase on the poster says, a magical new adventure is coming in 2019. Again, doesn't mention when in 2019, but it's worth noting that if you know your creatures from Potter, you're you know, looking at Cornish pixies. So somewhere in this experience, you're going to be dealing with some Cornish pixies. See, I think one of the, the things that really hit me was that... Um when they were talking about this and seeing this, I think I was hit with, um, what is it? Um, Obliviate spell. I think universal PR flipped it through my email and was like, no, you did not see this. Uh, there we go. So moving to further into October here, Halloween Horror Nights is doing gangbusters business so much so that in addition to the, the two nights that got announced in August that, you know, adding, you know, extending the run from 34 nights to 36 nights, on the 17th, they announced that we're going to add one more night to the run of Halloween Horror Nights uh, 28. So, again, it's a Tuesday, Tuesday, October 30th, and raising this year's total uh, number of nights to 37. That's an all-time high for this event. And getting back to Harry Potter now, I don't think I, I saw this the last time it was the park, the Globus Monday store. This is in... Diagon Alley? What is this? Yeah, Dustin? so this is um, a store. It's located in Carkit Market. Mm-hmm. So it's it became basically a... It was there. It wasn't really all that exciting. People would notice it as they were turning around the corner to get to some of the other shops. It's actually directly across from uh, the stage where the two live shows happen. So mm-hmm. it's perfect location. But now it's been turned into a retail space, which is basically promoting travel agency. Hmm. So uh, Globus Money is, uh, you know, it's it's a unique style, but it was created specifically from Universal and Mm -hmm. wasn't a rolling. It's not that she didn't come up with it. It's that she was consulted after it was already designed and got her blessing. So it, it was that first style of things that were changing within Diagon Alley. Not the mm-hmm. last thing, but it was the first. Okay, so Halloween Horror Nights ends its record-breaking run on November 3rd. But Universal announces after it closes that on November 6th, for the first time ever, day guests at the park are going to ex- get to experience one of, of the mazes. And what Universal decides to do is they throw open for one day only on November 6th the Stranger Things haunted house that they'd set up on uh, back in the, the sound stages between uh, Universal Studios Florida and Isles Adventure. Did you get to experience th- that this year? Or no, I, I saw I saw the photos, and you and I had a very long discussion about uh, your thoughts about what happened within uh, Halloween Horror Nights. So definitely go back and check out that episode because it was mm-hmm. it was awesome. But mm-hmm. I think this was. It was something that I had never seen, and I was a little bit confused as to the the methodology behind it. But mm-hmm. when you looked at the responses coming out from people who were there on the 6th, everyone loved it. So you can't go wrong okay. with that. When Halloween Horror Nights is running, there are, in fact, daytime tours. But, you know, they're kind of hard tickets. You have to book them in advance. They're only available to limited numbers of guests certain times of day. So... It was intriguing to me that they threw this open for the one day as an extra added bonus attraction for folks who were visiting the park at that day. And I, I just wonder if they're going to circle back on this idea as we head into 
Halloween Horror Nights 29 or, or, or the big one, uh, you know, coming in 2020, the, the 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Okay, jumping ahead to November now, Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, the Illuminations film, opens in theaters. And it actually has done quite well. It's, it's As of right now, it's the sixth highest grossing film of 2018. If you check go over to Box Office Mojo, it's currently sitting the combination of its Domestic ticket sales and overseas ticket sales, it's sitting just shy of half a billion dollars. I really enjoyed it. Actually looking forward to it showing up on Blu-ray, DVD, or whatever, so I can watch it in the comfort of my home and and not fall asleep for 10 minutes in the middle. (laughs) See, I I watched it because you told me to. So I, I had the chance to go and see it, and, you know, I think... Going into our discussion, if if the the Grinch one that episode pops up on our radar soon, hopefully mm-hmm. we'll be able to discuss that because there are some really cool things that happen within that uh, that world. Talk to me about this annual pass holder lounge that opened up on November fourteenth. Where where is this located, Dustin? So it's in Universal Studios, Florida. It's around the mm-hmm. corner, actually, um, right around the corner from the Hello Kitty store. So it's it's on that thing. It is a very it's a limited run. So it's yeah. actually going from November 14th through until January 31st of mm-hmm. 2019. So right. we'll see what will happen. But mm-hmm. the fact that they were not piggybacking, but doing a similar passholder lounge idea to what Disney has at um, Epcot with their Above the Journey into Imagination location for dvc holders uh or dvc uh members you can go in and get you know samples and they have coke machines and that kind of thing the big thing that happened here was that they had the arctic coke cooler now very cool one of only a handful uh of these machines are actually in the u.s and there's one of them at this ap lounge And it's something where you buy a Coca-Cola product. I think there's three or four that you could choose from. Coke, Sprite, iced tea, that kind of thing. And then you flip it upside down and it turns it into a a slushy in a matter of seconds. So very cool stuff. I've seen photos from the inside and the outside and videos and walkthroughs. It's a great idea. The fact that it is a limited run makes me think that that space is more valuable to Universal than having it as a lounge. Doesn't mean that well, it's not going to Well, let's face it. What is it? Just across the street is the still mysterious, we don't quite know officially what's going in there, Terminator 2 3D, right? Yep, with a lot of construction going on. So stands to reason if it's across the street from the brand new shiny, whatever the hell that is attraction, (laughs) I would bet that that's going to become retail or something. But uh, jumping ahead now to November 17th, we have the launch of the holidays at the Universal Orlando, uh, which uh, in fact just finished its run for this year on January 6th. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, we had for the first time ever dessert party component where you could have a nice sugar-laden nosh as you watch the holiday parade uh, featuring Macy's, or you could book instead the dessert party component for cinematic celebration. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the dessert party was very um, special. So if you um, go over and watch on YouTube, the Tim Tracker, mm-hmm. he actually did that. So he spent, mm-hmm. I think he, he said it was $50 and you got um, parade location, like prime viewing right at the very um, opening of the parade. So you actually saw the parade twice because oh. it doubles back. 
Mm-hmm. So it enters through the same way that it exits. But the the big thing that he brought up was the fact that all the desserts were sweet. So there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of savory aspects. But mm-hmm. I think what was uh, special about it was it it was their first time ever. So okay. try trying something new. You and I talked as soon as Cinematic Celebration came up that I had reached out to PR and they said, well, we have nothing further to announce with regards to these, these dessert parties and the food aspect. So the fact that they're doing something really shows me that they were listening to the guests and that they were trying something with a, a price point. Well, for me, it's always intriguing to watch how both Disney and Universal will te- tweak things, will try new things. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, we have our Grinchmas Holiday Spectacular, which over the years has gone from being a show that was literally presented in the streets over at Seuss's Landing. You, and you, fact, you had to come back three different times during the day to get the full show to... Mm-hmm. They did it outside in like a little alcove area where people had to stand up to watch the show. To They eventually moved it indoors to a soundstage with full sets and lighting and seats for the audience. And once again, they tweaked the show this year, and it was, was kind of intriguing. They changed the set just a little bit. I want to say they added the Grinch's cave, but it was sort of like a portion of the stage would open up and you could be inside the Grinch's cave. Mm-hmm. Likewise, they I think they did the same thing with Cindy Lou's house. But the thing that caught a lot of people's attention was they changed the Grinch's costume. They did. Uh, they took the outfit that the Grinch had been wearing since 2000 in the parks, and that was obviously based on the, the Jim Carrey, Ron Howard live-action version. And they shifted it moreover to it looked much more like the way the Grinch was dressed in both the 1966 holiday special as well as again the Illuminations movie and you know there's a lot of folks who were wondering on the heels of the success of the Illuminations movie are they gonna you know we're gonna see further retooling of the show to more reflect the, the kind of more sincere version of the Grinch as opposed to the the funny, obnoxious version that Jim Carrey popularized. And beyond that, I was asking a friend who works in sort of the holiday decorations department at Islands about last year was the first year that they really did the decorating for the holidays at the Wizarding World. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so what's new for this year? And he says, go to Seuss's Landing and look at our two brand new trees, the, 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 (laughs) the ones that were... You know, the crazy LED, these amazing trees that could change color, could change pattern, you know, that sort of thing. And it's just sort of like, watch this space, because if these get the reaction we hope, look for these to come back in a much bigger way in 2019 to 2020. Well, and the the trees actually go back to something that I shared with you a a little while ago was the Guinness record that was broken Mm -hmm. over in uh, Universal Studios Japan. Mm-hmm. For the world's, uh, it's the most lights on a artificial Christmas tree. And this, when they when they put this out there, so it, it's actually um, the second time that Universal Studios Japan has held this record. So mm-hmm. this one tree has 580,806 lights. Absolutely breathtaking when you look at it. It makes me just shiver thinking about the electricity bill, but that's me. I think the fact that these types of things are showing up within Universal Parks worldwide just means that there are 
uh, creative folks within the company that really like to make these uh, these points out there. And they're they're trying something new. So when I saw that, absolutely brilliant. We have been remiss so far. We haven't talked about there's Universal Studios Singapore. That there's the park over there, and they went crazy for Christmas this year. I, in fact, was looking at the info that they sent along about this park celebration where they have they this year they 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 had the biggest Christmas parade in the history of Universal Studios Singapore. They had Santa's snowy sleigh ride, which is this colorful parade featuring. 50 characters, including elves, toys, uh, soldiers, and Santa himself. At night, uh, they do this, what they call the Santa's Christmas light-up party, which is this light show uh, that features projection mapping and, you know, magical snowfall, which, of course, all of us know who've been to theme parks means soap suds, uh, <laughs> as well as characters like the Minions, again, our Sesame Street friends, and Shrek and Fiona, there's a stage show that's called Presentation Day. Because, again, this is a part of the world that maybe doesn't know Christmas quite as well as, as the rest of us. But it features the heartwarming story of Evie Evergreen, a, a toy maker elf determined to bring back the true meaning to Christmas in today's gadget crazy world. But the end part, and this is why we have to go to this park at some time, Dustin. They take sort of their Hollywood Boulevard section of the park and change it into a universal elf town, a universal Christmas. The whole street is decorated with bowers and, and oversized toys and that sort of thing. And, and the interesting thing is they even do a street show where it, it, instead of Grinchmas over there, you get Oscar's Grouchmas, where you learn the story of how Oscar the Grouch discovered the joys of Christmas. Aww. And it's just a, sort of like, I, we got to go. We yep. got to go check this place out. We were just talking about holiday decorations at the Wizarding World. And I, I think the last thing that you found for your list for 2018 is the Owl Post store. Yeah. So this, once again, in, in Diagon Alley, um, when, when I saw this come up, I was just like, just take my money. Uh, it was one of those uh, types of stores. So it's um, it's basically designed to wrap all your purchases from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and send it back home. So they have three different levels of uh, packaging and there's, you know, basically the entire point of this, similar to, you know, mailing a letter from Main Street USA at Disney is to get that stamp. So what they do is they make sure that it's being mailed from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Just another way that Universal is basically set up to drain my bank account. And I'm cool with it because the quality, like just if you go and do a, a simple Google search on like uh, photos and videos of people doing this, there is a lineup and it's worth it. We really should wrap things up. I think this is the longest Universal joint show we've ever done. Given when we went through all 10 you know, <laughs> haunted houses of Halloween Horror Night, uh, you know, 2018, that's saying something. On behalf of Dustin and myself, thanks for listening tonight, and we'll be back with another show shortly, so hang in there, folks. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network. <laughs>